the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, hello folks, welcome to special episode of Beyond the Pitch. I'm as always, Phil Brown, and I am honoured to be joined here by fellow countryman, um, United winger, of course, uh, youth team cutting graduate, someone who went on to Newcastle, Blackburn, a number of other football clubs as well, in Sheffield United, and of course, Bluff Northern Ireland. And, um, you know, he's been, it's an honour for me to have Keith on something I've always wanted to do, so I am extremely grateful to him for giving me his time. Uh, Keith, how you doing, mate? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Phil. Really appreciate it. Absolute, absolute honour. What are you up to these days, Keith? Well, um, I'm involved in the agency world now. Um, that's sort of just I'm not sure really how it did come about. Uh, just a friend of a guy I got friendly with, you know, sort of thought it would be a good idea to get involved in that. And you know, from 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 me being involved in, in football and having agents over the years, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, you're one step ahead of a lot of people because you understand what players want. Right. Um, and the one thing, you know, it's it's in terms of agency, it's it's not really something that people sort of, you know, are, are talking about as if they're. It, it's such an honest sort of way of, of you know, uh, being in a business. But mm-hmm. you know, the one thing that that we have in terms of what we do is. is we're hundred percent honest in what we do, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I think there's ninety five to ninety nine percent of agents around the world. You know, it's it's all about them. It's all about what they want to do and how they want to make money. Um, and it's the most important thing, as far as we're concerned, is is the player. Um, they are the ones that matter. Um, and I've had, I've got first um, first hand knowledge of an agent looking after me who tried to rip me off. Mm-hmm. So I understand yeah. you know, what it what it takes to be an to be a, an agent, and and I think it, you know it's, it's it's so important now in terms of you know building up that relationship with a, with a player because a lot of agents are just you know all of a sudden a contract's coming up or a move's coming up and then they're in contact. Right. We like to have this relationship with the player where you know we're we're just speaking to them every every week and um, you mm-hmm. know just seeing how they're doing and. and you know, we, we want to build up a relationship, especially if it's a young player, in terms of build that relationship up with their with their family as well. So, it's something uh, it's something I really enjoy. It's interesting, Keith, because see out here, um, and it's just starting to happen now. I, I don't know if CAA do it, but I've seen other agents do it. Where they're a multidisciplinary agency, so basically, yes, there's the player's economic interest with this contract and everything, but like you said. Um, they're not peripheral, they're involved in their client's life every day. So they have different divisions inside their agency that deals with things like, you know, different things that happen in their life. So they've got life coaches, they've got people that are, you know, doctors and stuff, mental health doctors, they've got so many different resources available to your client that extend way beyond just their their contract and negotiating a contract because the way they see it is you're also developing a player's image reputation that they're also going to you know that, that monetize the if you want to say that but 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 it's also about creating the proper image and managing this person's life and managing all the things that are going to impact their career because um and then in the when they retire 
you know, they're leaving the sport, whatever their sport is, um, having benefited from just more than just contract negotiations. These people are in their lives every single day, dealing with all the other aspects of their life. Um, do you see that being more of what you envision your agency being, um, rather than just someone that negotiates every couple of years when there's a contract on the table? Yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean, we we want to sort of be there for for our clients and, and whatever they need. You know, I mean, you know what it's like. I mean, footballers can can, mm-hmm. can suffer off the pitch. You know, they can, absolutely. You know, they can be a little bit down because they're not playing. And you know, it, we want to be at the other end of the phone where you know we can or they can ring us up and say, "Look, I'm struggling this week." And you know, the fact is, as I say, that I've actually you know been there and. and you know, when you're left out of the side, it's very difficult when yeah. you're training all week and you're not playing at weekends. You know, you can't get a little bit disheartening stuff. So um, the fact that I've sort of, you know, been there and done that, you know, I like to sort of, you know, think that the players that we sort of represent can do that with, with us. And I mean, even even stuff as simple as, you know, we look after some women as well. You know, we've mm-hmm. got one of our girls plays from Northern Ireland getting married this summer and you know just sorting out stuff like that for her in terms of you know be it wedding cars and class it's amazing how how sort of the agency you you know is is moving in terms of you know it's everyday life whereas before all it was about was was, you know sort contracts out sort of deals out yes etc now it's 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 you know very very much more personal um, and I mean that's that's how you build up the relationship with the with the people you know with the people that you represent because you want to have you know 100% trust absolutely you know, that works, man, that's way, it. it works both ways mm-hmm. yeah of course absolutely and when you, you know, your tentacles extend into different things that are relevant in the human being's life that you know that are also relevant to um, you know their their careers and how they're compensated and everything else. Um, I want to I want to touch on something because um, this this seems to happen quite a bit. Where let's say a player comes out, uh, it says they're struggling mentally, whatever, and then you'll see headlines something like twenty five thousand pound a week footballer says he's you know struggling, and then you get people that um, aren't willing to extend empathy to human being because they make good money. And what I try to tell people is. Money has no relationship with mental health. You can't buy your way out of depression, right? Depression doesn't matter. It doesn't incur while you're making 100 grand a week. And I can understand if you're at the bottom end of the scale why it would appear that it does. Money buys comfort. It doesn't buy happiness. Um, what was it like for you, Keith, sitting in a, you know, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, sitting with money in the bank that you never imagined you could have, where you could buy almost anything, Um it, it, were, did you have a very? It, did you stand yourself sitting there going, Do you know what? I am completely immune from any mental health struggles now that I'm sitting with that type of weeds packet. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, it, it's exactly right in terms of what you say because you know, mental health and money, it, it doesn't matter what you earn. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, it can happen to anyone. You know, the mental health side of things and. You know, I've seen it. I'm now involved in a sort of project where I'm, I'm actually back playing football over here for That's a class, man. called FC Mindwell, and we um, we're linked to a mental health charity. Uh, we a lot of a lot of sort of players who have suffered with mental health, and you know, we just want to give them the opportunity where you know, for 90 minutes on a Saturday afternoon, you can just 
you know, get out and play again and just forget about all your troubles. Yes. Um, but certainly, certainly as, as, as I was playing, you know, you know, you have that much free time about you and, you know, you obviously are earning good money, but, you know, there is, there is struggles as well in terms mm-hmm. of, and it can be something simple as, you know, you know people in, in jobs, you know, if they're not happy, um, you know, they, they can suffer mentally Absolutely. as well. You know, that can that can happen in football as well because you know you're not going to be happy at every single club because you're going to have periods of being out of the team um, and that is going to really you know be difficult for for, for you you know mm-hmm. you as I say you're used to playing most weekends all of a sudden you're not you're left out of the team you're you know the manager you're not you're not got a great relationship with him and you know that can that can impact you in so many different ways so um I think in terms of, of, of what the world's going through at the minute with the, with the mm-hmm. pandemic and everything, so mental health is, is probably, you know, a lot of people are suffering more and yes. more, um, you know, in, in, in the present climate. So I think it's very important to keep it highlighted and keep it out there and that, you know, there is people to talk to and, and, and you know, if you are struggling, uh, because, you know, as I say, that the... the what I'm involved in um, with FC Mindwell um, is, is massive um, in terms of the way it's helping people um, and impacting lives. You know, I have a group chat with them, and you know, on a daily basis, you know, there's there's a lot of boys struggling, but there's a lot of boys coming out and saying, you know, this is really benefiting me mm-hmm. um, being involved in in this. And you know, it's it's your cliche, you're like a big happy family. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's there's people there, you know, who who can't help others and you know, that makes it all worthwhile in the end. 100%. Mate, I would love to actually talk to you about that on show and learn more about that. It's brilliant to see initiatives like that happen. No and to see professional footballers, you know, that have so much weight, that have so much influence over young kids um, and other people like yourself, you know, they amplify that message. It's great. Um, you wanna, I want to go back to start, man, because um, I remember when I was a kid, <clears throat> I'd... Um, I was playing. I was at United School of Excellence and played for St Andrews, and I was it was my dream. Joking kid, uh, my dream to get me to Old Trafford. That was the only. Thing. I was my. I, I, but I wasn't good enough, right? And I knew. I saw how good you had to be to get there. You go over at a time when you needed to have arguably, probably since the Busby Babes, or at least there thereabouts, one of the best ever youth teams in the club's history. How did your move to United come about? Um, I mean, basically, I was I was going to the you know, Man United School of Excellence. Um, you know, like yourself, played for mm-hmm. St Andrews, and then oh, did you play for St Andrews? Know, spotted. Yeah, I was St Andrews as well with with, with Joe. Oh, did you? Uh, oh, so I guess Joe can care. I was Joe. I was, was my I manager was actually in the in the in the very early days. So it was um, you know with with Joe. Um, you must have came just Joe behind me. Because I was, uh, or maybe just before. What are you doing now, Keith? I'm 46. Oh, so you were just before me, yeah? Because we I played up at, up at Paisley Park, up in um, you know. Yes. Oh, I'm mad that mate. So you were just ahead of me. So I go ahead. Yes. Um, yeah. So I mean, Joe was obviously a Rangers scout so he came across the Rangers, but mm-hmm. you know, I was um, I was always Man United. You know, went to School of Excellence and. You know, I actually went to the Rangers on trial, and then the following week I went to Man United. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rangers wanted to sign me, but as soon as you know, Man United, you know, Alex Ferguson called me at the end of the week. I, I mean, to be fair, I didn't, I didn't think I'd, I'd 
done exceptionally well. I've done okay over the week, but you sort of think you need to sort of. I thought I thought I maybe needed to do a bit more, mm-hmm. but I suppose um, they they can sort of, you know, see, you know, especially when you're that that age, you know, you can have you know with, with young kids, you know, in terms of the form that they have, you know, you're training them playing matches every day, you know, that can, that can all change at that age, absolutely, you know, where consistency is is a problem, but you know, they they obviously maybe seen you know more long term, um, you know, they. He called me in the other week and said, "Look, he thought I'd done really well. I wanted to sign, wanted to decide, and you know, it was a, it was just a no-brainer." Then, how did that um, feel? You know, I was thirt- I can, I'm, uh, unbelievable. You know, I mean, I was thirteen years of age. <sighs> um, I could, I couldn't sign the contract until I was fourteen. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't sign schoolboy forms until you're fourteen, and I had to guarantee the fact that she had to go across when I was sixteen. Oh, you know, to two years then to, to try and make it and, and get professional forms in. So, you know, the, the hard work was ahead, but just, you know, at that time, you know, being 13 years of age, you know, Man United want to sign me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Man United fan. My dad's a Man United fan. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I mean, it is, it is something you sort of dream of and, and I don't expect that sort of thing to come true, but here it was. I was sort of one of the lucky ones where you know I was signing for the club that I supported. What did your what did your what did your family say whenever uh, you let them know? Oh, I mean, they were they were obviously delighted. My dad, obviously, in, in a big way. I mean, my dad became a Man United fan, you know, because of the likes of George Best. Aye. You know, the likes of the likes of the Busby Babes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for 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 me, sort of growing up, you know, I became a Man United fan because of my dad. You know, so then. You know, I followed them, you know, from sort of six, seven years of age, and then all of a sudden here I am signing for them. And, you know, but that would have played a bit of amateur league football over here, and, you know, mm-hmm. nothing of a, of, a, of a really high level, but for obviously a son then to, yes, of to have the opportunity then to, to go across to Old Trafford, just on trial originally, and then obviously signing for them. And then um, to, to actually sign the contract, uh, my mum, my dad, and myself, Flew over to Old Trafford for a for a weekend. Flew over on Friday. We went we went out out for a meal on the Friday night with Alex Ferguson and his wife, and and then I signed oh my God. on the Saturday. So it was uh, it was incredible. Just you know, these are sort of players who you know were on my bedroom wall. Bye. You know, and I'm in the dressing room before the game and getting autographs and all and photographs, <laughs> and you know, it was just. Uh, you know, just incredible. How did you deal with it mentally, Keith? Because you're taken from you know North Belfast, and then you're into this whole different world. Because I remember when I was when I first went over to England, the accents, everything, everything. It was a bit intimidating for me in the beginning. And then you know you have this tendency to look at players and you're overrated a bit. Where you're you know, for me it was it was intimidating. Um, what was it like whenever you went over to England? Different accents, different everything. Um, did you feel I belong here, or were you a bit nervous? Um, yeah, I, th- I think in terms of, you know, I, 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 first time I went over, I was 13, you know, and then I would have been over sort of Easter holidays, summer holidays, Christmas holidays, you know, flying over the odd weekend to play for, you know, in, in, in my last year at school, I would have flew over the odd weekend to play for like the A team or the B team. Um, so you sort of knew most of the people then in terms of who were going to be the apprentices with you. Um, you know, over the sort of period, you know, the likes of your Beckhams and 
you know, Nicky Butts, mm-hmm. Paul Scott, Gary Davis, people like that there. So, um, but I mean, it, it, I'm not going to say it was easy because, you know, it's very difficult as a 16-year-old, you know, you're, you're you leave school and all of a yes. sudden that's you. You're away and you're thrust into the big bad world. And you know, I, there was some homesickness. There's, there's no Aye, doubt about that. But I think that that was just that was just going to be obvious. But you know, I think it, it was just more important to have that mindset. You know, we got home you know once every sort of six weeks for a long weekend. But you know, you just had to have that mindset that you know, if I want to make it here, you know, I've got to just get over this. Um, and and I and I did do, I, I did get over it. Um, you know, because a, a few of us were in the same boat, uh, but it was probably worse for me in terms of, you know, I was a, I was a plane journey away. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I shared I shared a room with Rob Savage. He was an hour away, you know, down the road to, right. to Wrexham. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you had the likes of, you know, David Beckham's mum and dad. They'd have been up every weekend seeing him, you know, so he you know, died, you know, John O'Kane would have been in Nottingham, so you know wouldn't have been that far away. You know, just jumping a train. Whereas it was, it was a lot more difficult for me to, to be jumping on on planes and flying home. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was tough, but it was um, it was something that you just had to get used to. So you go over to Manchester United, you sign for a football club, you have this dinner with Fergie. Um, what was your relationship like with Fergie and obviously the the, the great players that played at United? Um, was it all positive? Oh yeah, you know, I had, my relationship with him was, was was great throughout. Um, you know, even when I left the club, you know, it was him mm-hmm. who who sorted the transfer out in terms of acting as my agent. You know, quite mm-hmm. ironic now in terms of I'm actually you know involved in the agency world, and then yeah. you know we're talking twenty six, twenty seven years ago, Alex Ferguson was the one, you know, who was acting as my agent. You know, and he was fantastic in terms of of how he looked looked after me, how he brought me through, how he looked after all of us. Um, you know, we, we, we just trusted him in, mm-hmm. in terms of what, what he was doing for us. So, uh, you know, some weekends you could be disappointed because you could be in the, the first team squad one weekend and then the following weekend you wouldn't be in it and it'd be somebody else's turn. And You know, but, you know, I think that we sort of helped each other on because we all sort of, you know, had our moments in terms of that youth side where, you know, we were sort of thrust into it, um, you know, and had some success. And, you know, he was the one who, who realised that he had a, you know, a very good youth team on his hands and players who were going to, you know, represent the first team. You know, so he knew himself how to actually handle this and not just sort of throw them in. And, you know, he knew the right, he's just one of them, he just knew the right time to actually do it with each and every one of us. So... Tell me about your debut. Um, how nervous were you? you know, how, did you get a lot of notice? Were you notified on a day? Uh, tell me what it was like to make your debut for United. Um, well, I mean, I'd, I'd actually been in the squad, you know, quite a few times um, without ever, you know, getting getting stripped. You know, mm-hmm. be it starting or being on the bench. So, and this is something that Alex first did with quite a few of us in terms of. Um, you know, getting players and young players involved in the squad, you know, just having them around that first team and having that experience and, you know, not getting stripped and not getting, you know, out there, you know, that was something that, you know, was was, was fine because we, it was just great in terms of being part of the squad, you know, 17 years of age, I was, I was in the first team squad, um, you know, a month before my 18th birthday. 
you know, with Dan Barry at home in the FA Cup and I was in the squad again. And I, again, I just thought I was I was going to be part of the squad, um, you know, just for that experience again. And I remember turned up to the ground at the Old Trafford and, and we had a pre-match meal at the, at the ground. And I remember sat, sat, sat opposite Paul Parker and Alex Ferguson had, happened to be walking past and there was a doubt at the time with, with gigs he'd be fed and, and Paul Parker just says the manager is gigs he fed and he went no and he turned around pointed at me and said sure he can play and I mean that was his way of telling me I was making a tattoo for Man United so um, I obviously you know went out there set the first goal up and, and, and scored the second and we won the game 2-0 so mm-hmm. you know it was just an absolute dream debut but you know very surreal and that you know thinking that 18 months before that I was still at school and that now here I am fast forward 18 months I'm, I'm playing for the club that, that I've supported and, and you know my dream has actually come true where I've, I've, I've played for, for Man United Unbelievable experience and then of course you know you, you, you have a very promising start for United um, and then this absurd Champions League rule comes in right um, you know the three foreigner rule which uh would you do you feel, Keith, if that rule was never made, you would never have left United? I, I mean, I don't. At, at that time, I wouldn't have left because mm-hmm. um, Alex Ferguson wasn't wanting to get rid of me whatsoever, um, and I knew that. Um, it just so happened that you know they needed they needed goals, they needed an English striker, and you know the best around at times Andy Cole, you know. So and I. Previous to that, um, when I played against Newcastle that season, I played actually um, in, in pre-season at Ibrox. I played against them. I was having on Canton. I was sent off. Yeah, uh, he got sent off the day after. Actually, uh, in, in the second game uh, against right. Rangers. That's right. Yeah. But um, I played against them at Billy Bingham's testimonial, and I played against them in the Coca-Cola Cup and the uh, the league game. I scored against them, so. Um, Kevin Keegan had already rang up about me and uh, inquired about me, and Alex Ferguson had, had told him no. So when when Alex Ferguson then made the call about asking about Andy Cole, um, Kevin Keegan, you know, mentioned me, and uh, Alex Ferguson uh, um, turned that down. Uh, but then the more he thought about it, the more you know he needed to get the single striker in. Um, you know, I had Andre Kinsalskis in front of me at the mm-hmm. time, and you know, I was 19 years of age then, and, and you know, you want to be playing regular first team football, and, and of course. you know, to be fair, I played quite, I played quite a few games. I mean, a week before I actually left, I played the previous sort of league game, um, you know, against Coventry, and then we gone to Sheffield United, where I had got left out because the deal, Alex Ferguson pulled me aside before the game and, and mentioned to me about the proposed transfer but you know in fairness there was no pressure whatsoever um i didn't have to say yes if i said no andy cole wouldn't have wouldn't have gone to man united uh mm. well not at that not at that in, right. in that instance but i just thought then that you know this was a great opportunity um it was a tough one you know because you know i was going to the game thinking i was going to be playing and here right. i am thinking about leaving the club but you know, within a brief conversation with the manager. So it was a case of, you know, watch the game and, you know, think about it and then come to come to him afterwards. And, you know, I just thought, well, Newcastle, I, I, you know, they'd just come up from, from the 
championship. Um, I'd seen them at Old Trafford, mm-hmm. and you know, I think everybody knows what the Geordie fans are like. Right. Um, and I thought they were incredible. That was the first time I'd ever, you know, seen them in their first season back in in the Premier League when mm-hmm. they, drew, they actually drew at Old Trafford and Andy Cole had scored. Um, so I thought, you know, it was a great opportunity for me in terms of going to a club like Newcastle and yeah. you know, somebody like Kevin Keegan wanting you. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and the whole thing about it was, you know, Kevin Keegan insisted that if if I hadn't have gone um, you know, been allowed to join then Andy Cole wouldn't have been allowed. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was I was made to feel although I was you know, made out to be a sort of make weight, I was made to be to feel very important in the deal and I think everyone remembers Kevin Keegan in terms of, you know, coming out, standing on the steps of St James's yep. and trying to explain, mm-hmm. you know, and people are, people are, you know, you know, they're obviously quite upset because they've sold their main man. Yes. You know, and, and if you actually watch, if you actually watch that, you can actually see, you know, the player, you know, the people that are standing there, the supporters. You know, Kevin Keegan turns around and says, "Look, this is my way. This is the way I think we can take the club forward. You know, you have to trust me." Straight away. You can see that they turned and thought, yes. well, okay, then yeah, we will. You know, and if you look at it six months down the line, they brought Les Ferdinand yes, in. Ferdinand. And a, yeah. further year down, a further year down the line, they brought Alan Shearer in. So, yeah. um, I suppose they were right to trust him. And look, for anyone listening to this today, you know, it wasn't around at that time. You know, Newcastle, were, at that time, you know, they were chasing the title. It's a fantastic football club. The atmosphere is unreal. You know, it's it's not like moving to Newcastle today. Back then, you know, it was it was an amazing move for a football club that was moving in the right direction. And uh, you know, like you say, Kevin Keegan, you were fundamental to his plans, which must have felt good. You played in that incredible Newcastle team. One of the performances, and I'm sure you've been asked about this many, many times, is the performance against Barcelona, right? Um, where you know the spree, uh, you were magnificent that night. Uh, when you look back. On your Newcastle career, kid, would you say that's the game that sticks out to you as your best game? Oh, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. I think just in terms of throughout my whole career, Aye. you know, <laughs> you know, you, you sort of, you sort of always think, you know, about your best game that you've ever had, and you know, if you're going to actually want it, you know, if you're going to actually think about, it, you're going to think. Who do I want to have my best game against? You're going to pick a Champions League game and you're going to pick a Barcelona or Real Madrid or somebody like that. And, and for me, it was that night and it was just, uh, one of those nights just everything clicked. Yeah. Um, you know, Tino was sensational as well. Um, you know, obviously managed to put two of the crosses in. But, mm-hmm. you know, I remember actually the left back I was playing against and I think sort of back in 1997, you know, we had a little bit of you know, Spanish football on Sky Sports, but mm. not in terms of how you, you know, you only sort of think about back two, three years ago and you're sort of getting four or five games a weekend. Yeah. yeah. You know, we didn't sort of get that on a regular basis. Right. So I knew of, I knew of Sergi, I knew he was a Spanish left back because I remember seeing him play for them in the, in, in the Euros. And, yeah. You know, at, in Euro 96. Um, so I knew he was a really good player, but. You know, my game was all about pace, and I've, I felt that I was quicker than, than the fullback. Never really had much of a trick. It was more a drop the shoulder, and I want I want to just try and get the ball in into the box. You know, if I get half a yard, so I was. It was just one of those nights where I was able to do that. And you know, after sort of I think it was about fifty odd minutes. You know, here we are, Newcastle, our first ever Champions League game at home to Barcelona, number three nil up, um, and I just I just had the game of my life. Um, you know, and you're talking, 
he played against the likes of Rivaldo as well and um, Luis Figo and De La Pena, Luis Enrique. Yeah, yeah they were fantastic sides. Um, they came back, you know, and, and, and we ended up winning the game 3-2. But, you know, it's, it's one of those where when I am back in Newcastle, you know, it's, it's, it's the first thing pretty much, you know, that, that, that the fans will say to me. It's, it's the Barcelona game, um, and you know it was just uh, it was just one of those incredible nights. Yeah, I've talked to other people about that, and uh, they've all said very much the same thing. Did um, do you, you think this signing of Tino Espria cost Newcastle the league? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, there's there's a lot of sort of people reasons. You know, I think if you look. I mean, you could point and go, well, Man United came with an unbelievable run. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember we used to come into the dressing room after games. You know, and the first thing you want to know is how did Man United do? And the amount of times it was 1-0 Cantona. You know, and mm-hmm. they, they just kept eating away and eating away at that. Yep. And, you know, you even look you even look at that game um, in, in 1996 when we, when Man United came to St. James's and, and they beat us 1-0. Never forget it. We, we, absol- we absolutely battered him that night. Incredible. Uh, Peter Schmeichel's man of, man of the match. And, mm-hmm. and, yeah, again, 1-0 camp in a back post. You know, so that was a big change in point because we were four points ahead. You know, we win that, we go seven ahead. We lose it, we're one. You know, and the pressure's really on. But, you know, then, you know, we go to Liverpool and everyone remembers yeah. the 4-3 game. But I think you score three goals away from home and you don't get in out of the game, it's, mm-hmm. it's very disappointing. You know, we're 1-0 up with eight minutes to go at Blackburn and we lose the game, you know, so that was another disappointing one. So, yeah, there's, there's loads of reasons. I mean, I, I was quite unfortunate because I got injured just before Christmas at um, at Old Trafford, or just after Christmas, uh, just after Boxing Day, and I was out for about five weeks and I came back and I found that I, I came back really early. I was expected to be out for eight weeks and I was back at five um, and I, I just couldn't get up the speed you know quick enough so I was left out then but mm-hmm. um, I remember um, Rob Lee had got moved to sort of right wing and he didn't want to play right wing and then he was moved back to the middle and then we brought Tino in and what happened then was because you've spent seven and a half million on Tino Peter Beardsley you know he got moved to right wing and Peter Beardsley was an incredible player, but he was never a right winger. He was never going to do what what I would, you know, try and do in terms of drop a shoulder, trying yeah. to down the line, and get, and get crossed in the middle for Les. And you know, so people sort of blame it on that. But you know, I, I just put it down to you know um, Man United come with an amazing run. You know, I, I think I think the fact that you know people remember it to this day in terms of. Newcastle coming second, you know. Mm-hmm. I would say to people, you know, who came second like two years ago, three years ago? I know. You would be sort of, you'd be scratching your head, but yeah. everyone sort of remembers because, you know, we were box office, everybody wanted Absolutely. to watch us. Um, and the league, I mean, the league table, you know, it doesn't lie most of the time, but for me it did that season because I think we were by far and away the most entertaining team. Um, you know, and that, that proves it, you know, the fact that you know, we're talking about it still yeah. 25 years on. Oh, it's still, it's still imprinted in my memory. I'll never forget that game at, at St. James's Park where I'll never understand how Les Ferdinand didn't score. I he had, you know, some of the saves uh, that Schmeichel saved were just unreal. I'm like, how did he do that? How did he do yeah, that? Exactly. Hello, uh, exactly. I, That's what I mean. That was a turning point for me. Do you know something? I still see highlights that game and I can still feel... Um, 
my uh, my hours going 5p, 50p every time I watch it because um, <laughs> I still remember how nervous I was because Newcastle get right, they just battered United and um, yeah, Cantona scores, you know, from that pullback and I, I um, you know, there was also a 2-0, I think, at Old Trafford that year as well, um, yeah. you know, which uh, was a massive game where Cole and Keane scored, I think. Um, but, uh, so, uh, what was the mood like, Keith? And I'm so grateful for your time, mate. I could take yours, and I want to be respectful of your time. But um, what was the mood like when Keegan did the whole, you know, the whole famous meltdown? Was there what was the reaction inside the dressing room at that time? Well, it, it's funny because I was actually um, yesterday morning I was talking to um, a guy because he rang me up, a journalist, because it's it's 25 years um, this week um, <sighs> since he'd done that run. Incredible. Um, at at Leeds. And uh, I always actually, I actually said to him, I said, you know, people always want to talk about this rant about Kevin Keegan, you know, and I said, they always remember about it. I said, but the thing they don't remember is that we won the game that night, 1 0. That was me that mm. scored. So nobody remembers that. <laughs> but, um, but the thing about it was, um, you know, when I look back on it, I, I just love his passion. Yes. Um, you know, and, and Kevin Keegan, to be fair, was the only manager about which was ever going to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he proved that by by what I said before in terms of you know going to the steps of St James's Park. How many managers would have would have done that? You know, I don't mm-hmm. think there's any apart from Kevin Keegan. And again, look, you know, maybe maybe the fact that emotions were running high, you know, it's straight after the game, and you know we'd won the game. Um, you know, we were quite fortunate to win the game, but but we did. Um, and I remember we, we were sat in the coach and, you know, one of the boys was speaking to to their wives and, and she happened to say that it it had some sort of outburst on, on um, Sky Sports. So mm-hmm. I never actually seen it until the following day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you know, there is a bit of comedy value to it in terms of the, you know, I would love it and all this here. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's more the passion that I love. You know, he just felt that, he, he just loved Newcastle. The Newcastle people loved him. Um, and he just felt that Alex Ferguson was, was right. you know, playing his mind games. And, and he didn't he didn't like that. Uh, so he was just sticking up for his club. Well, um, yeah. Was it a negative reaction by players? Did the players feel like, you know, I, we feel like well, he's gone, we've lost it? Or was it galvanising? No, I think what you've got to remember as well is this is... this. You know, people sort of think that this happened, you know, five, six weeks before the end of the season. This happened in the last week of the season. Yeah, you needed Middlesbrough next, ago. didn't it? Yeah, well, this was a Monday night. We had Middlesbrough on the Thursday and Tottenham the following Sunday, and that right. was a league over. That's right. You know, so it, 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 it was it was pretty much, you know, we needed to win our last two, and hopefully United didn't mm. win their last one against Middlesbrough. Right, that's right. Um, you know, so it was out of our hands. So, you know... I, I, none of the players thought that whatsoever. Um, again, we we just we loved his honesty um, in terms of you know you know what I'm saying. Again, no other manager would have come out and, and, and spoke like he did. Um, he was personally really wore his heart and sleeve, and you can see that. Um, and you know, it's incredible sort of to think that you know six months after that he was he had left the club because you know I, I just. I thought he was a genius. I just loved working with him. 
Um, I want to ask you, Keith, about Meg Ashley and his ownership. Clearly, Newcastle is a football club that's very close to your heart. As it is to almost anyone that plays mm-hmm. there. It's a great football club. You know, it's a staple of English football. You know, it's a it's a part of the world that produces amazing footballers. They love the football. They deserve success, in my mm-hmm. opinion. What's your take on Mike Ashley's ownership? Look, I I I think when he came in at first, yeah, because steady the ship and. You know, I think you, you still got to look at them. They have been a bit of a yo-yo club at times. You know, up, down, up, down. But um, he did steady ship for a while. Now, I just don't think they're moving with the times. You know, they, mm-hmm. he's not one that is wanting to invest too too much in the squad to improve them. Um, he's more happy finishing 17th in the league. That's no good yeah. for Newcastle fans. I know. Newcastle fans need to be... Newcastle, why why can Newcastle fans not do what West Ham have done this season? Why yeah, can Newcastle exactly. Not That's do a great point. Great you know, point, because, yeah. because they're they're a fantastic club. They're a massive yes. club. But if if you don't invest, you know, and other clubs are investing, you know, you fall behind. Of course. You know, and it, right. it's it's very difficult to compete there. Um, you know, so they, I, I've been delighted with them lately because I really feared yes. for them a few weeks ago. I, you know, I, I couldn't see where the next victory was coming from. So I'm delighted that they're set up. I really do hope that some sort of takeover will happen uh, because, right. as we said, it, it, it is an absolute gold mine. Oh, it's massive, you know, it? you, know you, you, you get a takeover there. They could go and do what Man City did. You know, that place is just absolutely cr- football crazy. It's amazing to um, me. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. Yep. No, it, I, I, I can't understand why, why, you know, the takeover has never happened. Same. I feel sorry for Newcastle fans because it keeps getting mentioned. And mm-hmm. You think you're getting closer, 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 and then it falls apart again. Um, and there must be some some reason behind that why it keeps happening. Um, so hopefully, you know, it happens sooner rather than later because, as, as we say, that the club's of success um, it's an amazing club to, to play at um, I had some of the best career uh, years of my career there um, and it's a place that I love going back to um, I love the people I love the Bye. city you know, just everything about it is, is, is incredible so hopefully something will happen Oh, mate, it's a football and city there, Corey, and you're right, lovely people, you know, working class people, I've, I've been there a few times, yeah. and every single time I've been there, I've been treated exceptionally well, and I love their, their appetite for football, and um, you're right, yeah. it's, I've never understood why, if you're a, someone with a bunch of money, especially if you're abroad, even if you're, you know, the, the boys of bought City, I mean, no disrespect to Man City, Newcastle's a bigger club than Man City, I mean, why aren't you buying someone like Newcastle? That's it. Basically, you know, I know they've got uh, middle, uh, Sunderland on the other side, uh, you know, the, the ten and where, uh, you know, on the other side, but, I mean, yeah. it's a massive football club, I never understood it. Why? A oh. uh, couple of questions left, man, I really appreciate your time. Um, something that happened this week, uh, last week, Super League, right? Um, it upset a lot of players, managers, and what have you. Uh, how would you have reacted to that if you'd have been a player at one of the football clubs and not told a Dennis voice that upon you? Well, to be fair, as a player, you know, you're under contract at the club. You know, what the club decides to do, you know, what you say has no bearing on what they will decide to do. You know, you're just a, you know, you're just an asset. So, and being a player like everyone else, um, I, I, I don't, 
I, I don't think anybody was was for it. Um, you know, and I think I think it was great in terms of I remember watching Sky and the news sort of came out um, during a game, and straight away you've got the reaction of of somebody like Gary Neville, you know, who was who spoke absolutely brilliantly about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was great that it was it was great that it was sort of nailed straight away in terms of he was so against it because he's such a good pundit, Gary. Mm-hmm. He, he speaks so much sense, and he really nailed it straight away. Then everyone else were able to jump on that, you know, and, you know, you've seen people like Guardiola coming out, Klopp coming out, you know, and basically against it. And I, I think it just does come down to, to, you know, people who do not know what we have grown up with in, in this country in terms of the football that we did grow up with, you know, and mm-hmm. Guardiola spoke brilliantly in terms of, you know, you're in a Super League, you've got no relegation, you know, that sort of thing. You know, you want to earn success. You know, you don't want to just be given it. You think about Arsenal, Tottenham, right? You know, who aren't even sort of Champions League. You know, all of a sudden they're given a place in this big massive yeah. league. You know, and they're and they're always going to be in it. Um, you know, so I'm glad that the, you know there was so much unity with with everyone in terms of players, fans, uh, managers. You know, ex-players. Everybody was up the same, was singing off the same hymn sheet that they did not want this to happen. And, and and thankfully, you know, it was it was done and dusted and gone in forty-eight hours. Uh, and I'll just second part of that question. I assume you echo sentiments in relation to United's ownership model as well. Yep. Um, you know, and like I, I, it does. You know, down to foreign foreign ownership. You know, mm. you, you sort of think in terms of, of, of the Americans, you know, and, and the basketball teams and, and, you know, the NFL and, and, and what have you. you know, there's no there's no relegation or promotion in in, that, in what they have over there in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, the American football. Um, you know, and, and that's something that they've always been used to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in terms of watching football growing up and... and you know, be it a, you know if, if if a club's already got promoted, you know everybody sort of comes embroiled and, and and wanting to see who gets relegated and and it becomes something else to get excited about. You know, to, to not have that at all, um, you know, is absolutely crazy. And as I say, you know, for clubs just to all of a sudden just be given that success, you know, without actually earning it. Yes. Um. You know, it's, it's, it was just crazy for me. So, you know, Man United, obviously, I've, I've got owners that, that a lot of the fans aren't happy about either. Um, you know, I think that's something that's they've not been happy about for quite a while. Um, you know, so it just remains to be seen, you know, will they, you know, give in and, 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 and you know, sell the club? I don't know if it'll happen, you know, anytime soon, but. Um, certainly, it's it's something that the fans would like to change in terms of the ownership. Um, you know, going forward. Completely agree, Matt. Um, well, a couple of minutes left. Who is the best player you ever played with? Oh gosh, there's quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a difficult time. I mean, Peter Birds, he was amazing. Was it absolutely incredible? I, mean, I, I played with Peter when he was about thirty-three, and I was just remember thinking, wow. Yep. How good this guy must have been six, seven years ago, even. 
Uh, I mean, Cantona, Cantona was just incredible because um, he just oozed class. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I remember it's funny because you know I scored two goals for for Man United, and, and both times it was Eric Cantona passed the ball to me to score them. But just to, to play with somebody like him and the class that he showed, and you know, he, he, he just seen how he trained. You know, he was always out practicing his finishing. Your know, players had gone home, and he's still out there with Brian Kidd and Giggsy and that Paul Lynch. You know, practicing and finishing, and he was a he was an absolute joy. But you know, my, my my hero growing up. I mean, I had two heroes growing up, and they were Mark Hughes and they were Brian Robson. Uh, yeah, Mark Hughes, man. I managed to play alongside both of them, um, and, I, and I had uh, Brian Robson as a manager at Sheffield United as well. Um, oh. So I feel I feel very fortunate in that you know you have here everyone has heroes growing up, but to actually you know share a dressing room with them. I mean, I, I was very close to actually signing for Middlesbrough from Newcastle when, um, but I failed a medical uh, many years ago, and uh, Brian Robson's the manager, um, and then. I ended up going to Blackburn and then a season or two later, Mark Hughes signed for us, so I got to play with a game after playing with him for Man United. Was it Sinister that signed you for Blackburn? No, it was Brian Kidd. Oh, Brian Kidd, I written off, yeah. Yeah, I was was his first signing, actually, um, at at Blackburn. Mm. Um, And unfortunately, it didn't last as long as we would have hoped. It just didn't work out for him. But um, yeah, I felt... You know, quite fortunate in terms of my heroes, the players I had on my bedroom wall, Mark Hughes and Brian Robson, were, were the main ones. Um, uh, what, what, what I want to ask you, uh, we're almost done, mate, just a couple of questions from our listeners. And uh, uh, This is what I want, I want to ask you this uh, from Matthew Reed. Uh, your current thoughts on the Danska Premiership, of course, at home and its potential growth with Limfield, almost making the group stages for the first time this year. Uh, and he wants to know, will you be back supporting the Swifts, uh, to be back to the Swifts to support Dean? Um, I don't know what that means. We may do, but uh, what's your, we, we've yeah. seen we've seen what's going on with Lauren. You know, Lauren have done exceptionally well. You know, of course, that's your, you know, it, it's your home turn, I believe. Um, they've done exceptionally yes. well on their turning and stuff. Uh, what's your take on where domestic football is and, and where it's going, Keith? I mean, it's, it's certainly improving. Um I think before before COVID hit us last year, you know, it was it was very very tight for for quite a while. You know, you could mm-hmm. you know right sort of Christmas time just after, and then we had COVID. But before that, you know, you were sort of thinking there's five six teams could win this this season, mm-hmm. and that's something that you know we don't really associate with Irish leagues over the years. You know, you you normally have two, possibly three. Um, you know, Limfield. You know, done fantastically well in, in in Europe this season. Um, you know, very very close to getting to that group stages, which is which is the next big step for an Irish league club. You know, we've seen mm-hmm. you know the League of Ireland doing it, and it would be amazing for for you know one of one of our clubs to do it up here. Completely um, agree. You know, Glen had such a poor start to the season, and I still expect Glentorn to, to to win it, but they've certainly made a you, you know, a real fist of it now. You know, seven points the leads down to, and and it's all set up to this weekend when when Glen Torn play Linfield. And um, so, obviously, Glen Torn need to win that. But you know, Linfield win it. I think that the season's over. But you know, five games left. I think Linfield have maybe got 
four away games um, and, and, and one home game. Or no, sorry, Glen Torn have got four home games and one away game. Linfield have, have two home games, three away games. So you never know. Um, I think I think what he was uh, alluding to was uh, Dean Shields. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yep. Dean took Dean took the job. Um, you know, he's doing a, he's doing a fantastic job with with his dad with the women, and you know, incredible what the women did in, in qualifying for the Euros. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, they done they done incredibly well. But you know, Dean's a, a, a young, hungry manager. Um, he's going into Zangana there. That you know, they are they've been struggling before he came in. <laughs> I think um, the good thing is there's there's no relegation for him this season, and he can just start afresh next season. Um, and I'm trying to. You know, put his, um, his stamp on things. You know, because I've, I've I've heard a lot of good things about him in terms of, you know, his coaching and how he goes about it. You know, obviously there's a big difference between you know coach and then becoming a manager. Um, you know, they're two different things. But hopefully, you know, he can adapt to that. He's he's got his dad to lean on as well for advice. So. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he can do well there. Uh, Ryan Miller asked a very, very important question. Mate, he wants to know uh, Crusaders versus Glen Torrin at Seaview 2009. Uh, he wants to know why you wore tights. <laughs> 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 You know, playing on the playing on that four G pitch as well. Um, I, I, prefer, I didn't want to get any of those burns up my legs, so yeah. um, that was uh, that was quite a regular thing. So it was where I, I started yeah. wearing the tights. Um, <laughs> you know, so just a a big uh, a big Jenny Ann, I think, uh, you say yeah. over here. Uh, well, one or two more, man. Uh, Chris McKay wants to know, um, I'm deliberately not touched on this topic, but uh, the question does have some relevance. He wants to know what support you received in relation, obviously, to your problems off the pitch, what we've talked about. Um, is there anything that he feels club, the PFA, could do to help prevent support players in similar situations? Um, and most of these guys are teenagers and facing these problems. Did you get um, a lot of help from the PFA, you know, from other um, in other bodies outside of football to help you, and and is enough being done today? No, um, see, I, I think you know when you sort of look back quite a few years ago, I I don't think gambling was a sort of taboo topic what it is today. Um, you know, and I was quite you know private about it all. Mm-hmm. You know, I know there was stuff come out in the press. You know, but then. You know, people wouldn't know what I was up to, and you know right. what? You're sort of betting and gambling, and you're, and you're getting online and you're just picking up the phone or you're typing out a few numbers. You know, nobody knows what you're doing behind right. closed doors. So you know, I, I was quite private about all that. So I didn't sort of seek the help, probably that I should have done. Right. You know, I think it's important that the, that there is help out there, and the PFA need to probably do more and uh, help them first because you know every 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 dress name is different. You know, but and they're different, but they're the same. You know, right. in terms of clubs, clubs will have a, a, a click where on a coach where there's three or four sitting in the missing post. There'll be three or four playing cards. You get other people reading books. You get up. You know, so that'll be the same at every single club. So there's going to be, you know, that gambling element. You know, at every single club. Um, you know, and people are going to get themselves, in, you know, into trouble and. and, and Addicted, obviously. Um, I I sorted the problem out myself um, in, in terms of I just realised I couldn't do this anymore. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not to say I don't have I don't have the odd bet now. You know, because Good. I'll have the odd sort of golf bet. Yes. You know, it's, it's, in fact, I, I don't have any, I don't have any accounts. You know, because that's the worst thing. So it's yeah. been a long time since to have. But you know, I'll have the odd golf bet. You know, the Masters on. You know, a big golf tournament. You know, I'll have the odd accumulator on a Saturday. You know, we're talking. You know, twenty quid maximum. Yeah, ah, you know, of course, that's harmless, mate. You know. Exactly. It's, you know, I mean, I just call them introspects, you know, for a Saturday afternoon. And so I, I sorted the whole problem out myself. But I think it is important that there is that help out there for, for people. You know, people have got to realize that there's help out there for them. You know, because no, on a daily basis, you know, there'll be, there'll be people struggling in terms of, of, you know, the gambling side of things, especially. Brutal, mate. Listen, I've, I've, I've battled addiction, a hard addiction. I've been quite open about it. It happened. It sneak, snuck up on me. I didn't see it coming. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. one day I'm not, then the one, then I am. And then, you know, it, it's a very, very difficult thing to recover from, especially when you have a psychological yeah. need. But, like, once you're in control, if you can bet 20 quid and, and, and leave it there, you're in control of it. It's not controlling you. That's yeah. that's a whole different thing. And if you can do that healthy, then great. Uh, Keith, man, I know you're you've given given me an hour of your time, and Jesus Christ, I'd take another if you gave it to me. But I, I don't want to do that to you. I've got two questions, and I'm gonna let you go, mate. Uh, all I want is going to be uh, Ryan uh, underscore digit asked me, would you ask Keith if he was there when Adrian Dockerley was there? Uh, uh, do you have any memories of him? Yes, it, um, I actually live with Adrian. Um, in Diggs when I first went over um, and unfortunately he got injured um, quite early when I got there but I would have it was a real sort of eccentric character Adrian um, and you know you'd get into his room and he'd just sit and you know play songs on his guitar and make songs up and yeah I'd go in and just the you know, fact they were both from Northern Ireland you know I, I would, mm-hmm. they would have been quite close to him and chat away to him and had a bit of crack with him um, you know and, and so so sad in terms of what happened to him, you know, because it, you know, there was so much, you know, talked about him in terms of what a player he was going to be, and unfortunately, with the injury he got, that didn't happen, and then obviously, you know, the fatal, um, you know, when, when he, you know, drowned in, right. in, in Amsterdam, which was absolutely shocking news. But he was a, he's a fantastic guy. He, he never ever would have said a bad word about anyone. You know, and as I say, he was this sort of eccentric character, and you know, you'd have gone into his room, and you, you know, his, his clothes would just be rolled up in a ball, lying in in the corner. You know, they wouldn't be hung up or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he just put them on, you know, unironed. You know, he would he would just waltz into training, and you know, normally people would you know take the mick out of the others, you know, but nobody would ever take the mick out of Doc. You know, he could just sort of. You know, wear what he wanted, or look what he look the way he wanted at times. You know, and, and he never cared. You know about that side of things, and, and people just loved him. They loved the the way he, he sort of always had a smile on his face. Um, and you know, and it was incredibly sad to say what what happened to him in the end. How good was he, Keith, in relation to say the other players that were there? Well, you know. And, he was a he was a few years older than me, but um, I think people were talking about him, you know, in the same breath as they were talking about Ryan Giggs. You know, oh. so that shows you what a player he, you know, he was, and, and ultimately would have been. You know, he, had, he was called into the first team squad when he was sixteen years of age, um, and so again that shows you. Mm. Um, so just it, it it just shows you how 
know, how football can be so cruel uh, you know, in terms of, you know, getting an injury and, and, and just never hitting the heights, which, you know, he probably would have hit. Um, you know, so it, it can be a cruel game. And, you know, that's why I sort of look back and, and, and think I'd be, I was very lucky over, you know, the course of my career that I never had too many. You, know, you can pick up injuries here and there, but I never had too many serious ones. And I never had any career-ending ones, which... You know, a lot of young players have had to had to suffer and endure. Um, mate, uh, first, by the way, folks, if you strongly recommend to check out Dolly Kay's book on Adrian Dougherty, which is fantastic. Uh, last question for me, okay, mate, I am so, so generous, so grateful for you being so generous with your time, mate. There's a million questions I didn't get to, so hopefully I can get you back sometime. Um, you, bro- you, you, bro- you mentioned something there that uh, earlier in this podcast, and I made a note to write this down because it's something that's often get missed. You were talking about the difference between a coach and a manager. Right. Um, when you came to United, um, was Ferguson a great coach, or did he delegate that? And he was—he was a great man manager because I often see the two confused. And when I look at someone like Solskjaer, who gets heavily criticised um, because apparently he doesn't coach the same way Guardiola is, um, would you say that most managers? delegate coaching and aren't great coaches they're great man management like Ferguson was he a great coach or just a great man manager and uh, what's your take on Solskjaer <clears throat> well I mean Fergie Fergie would never take training yeah. and you know and, and and that's why it's important to get the right number two in and he mm-hmm. had that with, with Brian Kidd um, when I was there you know because Kiddo, Kiddo just Kiddo loved the, the, the day-to-day training he loved taking that and he took that every day Alex Ferguson would have taken it. He, mm-hmm. he, he could just sit in his office and know that the players were going to be getting what they needed from, from Brian Kidd. But I think in terms of being a manager, a man manager that Fergie was, his man management skills were, were brilliant because you know, you're, you're talking about Gresson with big, big egos there. Yeah. You know, and there's times you're going you're gonna, to you know, upset people. You know, you think about your Schmeichels and your Inces and Shoes and Cantnes and Roy Keynes and you know, you're talking big name players, you know, so it's 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 important to have, you know, good man management skills in terms of how you treat people and how you look after them and how you you know, when they're not playing, how you look after them, how you involve them. Mm-hmm. Um so that was his that was his big thing. Um he never ever, you know, took training. But he you know, he understood the game you know better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, he always he, he always knew. You, know, you look at what he did over the years. You know he, he very rarely made poor decisions. You know, and that's why he was a top top manager. But I mean, as as far as Solskjaer goes, you know, I, I I think in terms of what he's done this season, you know, it, it, it's been fantastic. Um, I would I wouldn't say that you know watching Man United would excite me every week because. You know, there's there's so many times this season where it's been you know quite dull the football. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think I think if you take Bruno Fernandez out of that team, I don't think United would even finish top eight. I really don't. I think that's how important he is to them. Um, I think Man City are, are so far ahead um, of, of of anybody at the minute. Um, are Man United the second best team in the country? The league says they are. I don't know if if they are on 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 the way they perform they've had a lot of sort of results where you know 
obviously gone behind quite a lot. Do you not think um, COVID's partly responsible for that, man? With all the games, two, two games a week, you know, they're basically playing non-stop. You've got the Euros and all that. You're you a footballer. You, you don't think that's a factor, no? Everybody's in the same boat. But know, I would say all, all, anyone other than City is, is having the same problems. Oh, you know, I, I look at other teams. They don't play great every week. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> because we're talking about Man United, yeah, you know, we're, know. We, we, expect, we expect good football. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we've been brought up on it for so long and, you know, it's so frustrating at times now in terms of the performances we put in. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, I watched that game on Sunday against Leeds and, you know, it's, it was poor, know. it's been a lot of sort of, there's been a lot of sort of really flat performances like that this season. Um, there's been some good ones. You know, you look at what you look at the Champions League performances, what they yeah. did, and you know, going away to Turkey and, and yes. losing to, to that Turkish. You know, some really poor performances, but then there's been some really good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's it, I, I think I think they're probably sitting where they are is is the best that they could have done. I agree, um, mm-hmm. and and they've still they've still got a chance to win the European League. So if they, you know, for, for me now, you know that. The, Pretty much qualified for the Champions League. Aye. I think they need to deliver. I think they need to deliver a trophy. So they need to go all out. Um, I know they got Liverpool this weekend as well, but you know, in between two games against Roma, I think they got to prior, prior, prioritise uh, Roma because I agree. they need to win a trophy. Well, they definitely need to win a trophy. Especially like you say, since Champions League's more or less wrapped up, you can't prioritise Europa League now and and still you know have a strong finish at the end of the season. Big game this weekend. Keith mate, I'm I'm telling you so I'm have a thousand questions on my notepad here that I didn't get to ask. Um I am so <laughs> grateful, mate, for this. Um true, true honour for me. Um and I uh, wish you none but the best, mate, and uh, I'd love to get you back sometime. Yes, no problem at all, anytime you want. Absolute legend. Cheers, Keith. Thanks, mate. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks, pal. Cheers, Cheers, mate. mate. Bye. Bye.